to my heart and it tells the story of Jesus Christ and his ministry and his purpose and how that affects our lives now and who we are. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a background as opposed to the other uh, uh, three Gospels that we know of. Uh, the authorship of Mark is its name. The Gospel according to Mark, there's a gentleman, he actually goes in Scripture by John Mark, but known as Mark, uh, not one of the original disciples. A lot of people will think that um, one, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all disciples of Jesus directly. Mark was not one of those original 12. He's actually the cousin of Barnabas, and I want to make that clear, Barnabas, not Barabbas. If you know Barabbas in Scripture, it's not the cousin of the guy that was released in place of Jesus. This is Barnabas who traveled with Paul on his missionary journey, especially the first missionary journey. And Mark went with them uh, on that first missionary journey. That's one of those words, right? Um, but he is the cousin of Barnabas and accompanied Paul and, and Barnabas on the first missionary journey as they were establishing the church of Jesus. But more specifically, Mark was a disciple of Peter. He was a very close friend of and disciple of Peter, who we know as one of the original 12 disciples. This book, it actually dates, some scholars believe, to about 50 AD. That's kind of the earliest uh, that they feel Mark wrote this gospel all the way up to about 70. So somewhere between 50 and 70, we just don't have that exact date. And, and not that that matters to us, but I wanted to give you guys at least an idea of when uh, they believe this book was penned. The purpose of the book. That's what it comes down to, right? Some again believe that Mark wrote this in Rome uh, to the Romans, so specifically written to non-Jewish people. And that's going to come out a little bit later on as we get into uh, how Mark writes, the words that he uses, uh, the, the, the phraseology that he uses in Scripture, uh, speaking to his audience. Right? The message doesn't change between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The purpose is the same between the Gospels. But how it's delivered changes. Because you deliver your message differently when you're talking to different people, right? How you speak to people. How I'm going to talk to elementary students is going to be very different than how I speak to adults. That makes sense? That's essentially what we're getting at. And so the way that Mark writes and who he's writing to, those in Rome and non-Jewish people is going to give us understanding as to why he uses the stories that he uses why he writes some of the miracles or words that he uses to describe the life and ministry of Jesus. But unlike Matthew or Luke, Mark doesn't uh, jot down or write of any genealogy, and that gives us an understanding to his audience. There's no reason to describe the heritage of Jesus because he's not trying to prove to the Jewish community that Jesus is who Jesus said he is. That doesn't matter to non-Jews, so there's no genealogy. There's no account of the birth of Jesus, again, for the same reason in the book of Mark. And that's one of the reasons I love the book of Mark, not that I discount the birth or genealogy of Jesus, but I love the fact that Mark just gets right to it. He gets, he's matter of fact, he just gets right to the ministry of Jesus Christ. He places a lot of emphasis on Jesus' humanity, but he doesn't discount his deity, 
as we'll see very, very clearly in verse 1, as we'll get into in just a little bit. So that's what we're going to kind of look at uh, over the course of time, or I can't give you a date. I'm not going to give you a time frame, uh, because I could say we'll cover it in the next eight weeks, and 14 years later, we're still in chapter 2 of the book of Mark. But if there's something I'm going to say about this book and what we study, and if I'm going to attach a theme, or if there is a theme verse, it really correlates to who we've established ourselves as a church, to the theme of Mark and how he depicts Jesus which is Mark 10, 45, which says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if there's a theme verse to the book of Mark, it would be Mark 10, 45. But what this comes down to is ultimately, it's not about the heritage, when it was written, who wrote it, but specifically who it defines and who it describes in the person in ministry of Jesus Christ and how that relates to us. And what I love about the book of Mark is he opens up right away, Mark chapter 1, verse 4, defining the gospel message, what the good news is, with John the Baptist declaring the good news, calling people to repent and to be baptized. And then what we'll see whenever we get there in, in chapter 16, in verse 15 through 16, Jesus concludes, and Mark concludes his writing with Jesus' call to go out to us to proclaim the good news, calling people to repentance and to be baptized and saved. So you see the bookends of this book is the gospel message. The bookends of this book is the good news. Jesus Christ, what he did and, and why he came and our purpose in, in living our life and what we're to do. All centered on what? The good news. The gospel of Jesus. So let's get into this this morning. We're actually going to cover Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 this morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Mark. Uh, if you have your device, go ahead and swipe open. Or if you have neither, that's okay. We have the scripture written in your bulletin notes. And it's also going to be up on the screen. So, no excuse. To not read along. <laughs> so if you feel led, go ahead and read along. Feel free to read out loud, read with me, or just 2 through 11. Let's get into the word this morning. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appears claiming a baptism of sins. And all the were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the seen their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. In verse 11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So let's take a minute or two, and this is an opportunity for you to reread the passage, spend some time in prayer, really just meditate on what we just read, and, and just listen for what God wants to tell you, because that's what's important. 
So that's kind of what we do here. Just spend some time in the Word, reread it, take some notes, and we'll jump into the Scripture in a minute or two. And Father God, I look forward to this, this book, this study, as we learn more about the rock upon which we stand. The cornerstone of this church, Jesus Christ, your Son, and it's His purpose for our life, His ministry, His death, His resurrection, the salvation that He provides us. Father, bless our study and our time this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So again, right in the beginning, right, verse 1, Mark chapter 1, one you can see now it's right to the point. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Question who he's talking about. There's no question what he's talking about. And so if we get into that verse, the onset of. It's number one, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, again, just means good news. Right? The good news of Jesus. And, and we're going to spend the next 16 chapters defining those good news. And if you were with us in the very beginning, we were defining, if we, need, if we understand what the good news is, we kind of need to know what the bad news is as well. Right? And we're going to talk about that as, as we go on. I don't want to upset anybody right now. <laughs> but the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and it, he, he defines this man as Jesus. And if you just look at the definition of the name Jesus, it has its background in the, in the Hebrew tradition. It means Yahweh. It's another name for God. So Mark is getting right to the point. He's not separating Jesus from God the Father. He's saying they are one and the same. But more specifically, Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. What a beautiful definition. The name Christ means anointed. It's a messianic title. So again, Mark, from the very onset, is defining, saying, this man that we are talking about, that has come, he is the one that all the prophets, all the scripture, all the Old Testament had spoken of for hundreds and hundreds of years. He is here. This is him. This is Jesus Christ. He defines him as the Son of God. So he defines him as God, as Yahweh, but he also defines him as the Son of God. Now the beautiful thing about that is it defines Jesus Christ, God the Son, in the flesh, in that submissive role he takes to God the Father. Again, speaking to his humanity, but not forsaking or ignoring his deity. He just defined it in verse 1. We don't have to even read the rest of the 16 uh, chapters. We talked about his humanity, but he also defines in one sentence who Jesus is as God. The anointed Messiah has come, and he's come in the flesh to save you from your sins. I mean, if we talk about one sentence that defines everything for us, it's Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, Yahweh, who is salvation, the anointed Messiah, the Son of God. What a powerful line, amen? It's amazing. I promise you we will not go word by word, but I had to do that for verse 1. Shall we move on? Okay. But everything about all 16 chapters will define, describe, and point to Jesus Christ. All roads lead 
to Jesus. And that's the life that we live. We don't look for opportunities to shape the narrative of the gospel message or the Bible in any respect to our life because of who we are. Did you follow that statement? We don't look for ourselves to adhere the gospel to our life and how we want to live. Everything about what we do and what we study in in the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, is about Jesus and how our lives are to be a witness of him, about him, for him, to everybody else around us. That's why Mark wrote, that's why Matthew wrote, Luke, John, and everybody else, why Paul wrote the epistles, and on and on and on it goes. From the beginning of time, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, points to this event, this man, this purpose. This is everything. Everything. So let's keep going. Verses 2 through 5 introduce John. John the Baptist had been introduced by those hundreds of years before. People just didn't know him by name. As we see in verses 2, it takes us back to Scripture, which is what I love. He takes his listeners right back to Scripture and what was said about John the Baptist. And actually in verse 2 and 3, he's actually referring to and combining Scripture from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. He takes those two Scriptures that define and describe John the Baptist, and he puts them together in what's said there. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So you see the purpose of John the Baptist. And now that's come to fruition. Prepare your way. A way. It's a road. This is a journey. It's a path of life. Although focused on the arrival of the Messiah, Mark takes time to explain the ministry of John the Baptist because John the Baptist has a very powerful ministry. Very powerful. But let's go right back to the very and the purpose of John spoken of by the angel Gabriel to his parents. If we go to Luke chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, Gabriel, the angel, speaking to John's father, Zechariah, and he says this about his son. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn their hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Imagine if somebody said that about your son. That's powerful. And who this young man would be. As John's ministry was meant to prepare the people for the coming Messiah, so is our ministry in who we are. Amen? John the Baptist had a powerful ministry. John the Baptist was spoken of for hundreds of years in the prophets. And he is now here, baptizing, preparing the way, preparing people's heart for the arrival of Jesus. But yet we need to see our life, our purpose as Christians today, as a part of the church of Jesus, that we do the exact same thing. Because the exact same spirit that rested in John rests in us if we are followers of Jesus and disciples of Jesus Christ. Somebody by the name of Rodney Smith said this, and I love this. There are actually five Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. 
but most people won't read the first four. So what does that say about our life? If they don't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, how are they going to learn about Jesus? That is our purpose. That is how we need to live our life. We need to be a walking, living testimony of Jesus Christ. That he has come, that he has lived, that he has ministered, that he has died and resurrected for everybody. And most importantly, prepare the way because he's coming again. As John the Baptist prepared the way for the arrival of Jesus, we are to prepare others for the arrival, the second coming of Jesus, as he is most assuredly coming soon. In verse 4, it talks about the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, baptism, again, is a ceremonial outward expression of the inner change that we have committed to. Baptism is not brand new in John the Baptist's day. He did not invent baptism. He invented the new purpose of baptism. Okay? He was the first to come along and baptize people with the purpose of preparing them for the arrival of Jesus. Now for us today, baptism serves as the same process. The same point is the, to prepare our life as a ceremonial of our obedience to Jesus Christ and that we're going to walk this path of obedience to the will of God. That's baptism today for us because Jesus has already come. But imagine the baptism for those who never saw Jesus yet, didn't know he had come. John is here preparing them to accept Jesus in his ministry and his message prior to his arrival. But baptism is simply a change in the inner man, a declaration that I am no longer a slave or confined to my sin. But it's also the understanding that I can't do this by myself. I can't wash myself clean of the sin that is inside and this is who I will remain without Jesus, without salvation. Look at what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, something I, I don't believe a lot of people do enough today. Because you know why? Because it's, it takes humility to verbally say, this is who I am without Jesus. This is the problem I have. This is the sin I'm caught up in. To actually speak that, you have to humble yourself. And by doing so, you're saying, I can't fix myself on my own. I need help. It's very difficult to admit you need help. But in confessing our sins, this is what we're called to do. The understanding that I need Jesus Christ to save me from my sins. As we move on in verses 6 through 7, we get a little description of, of John, and, and we won't get too much into that, but some call him a wild man, right? I mean, how many of us would clothe ourselves with animal skin and go out and eat locusts and wild honey? Anybody? No? Maybe honey you get from the store? Jason will. J Jason's all about locusts and honey, absolutely. But not too many of us would. They would consider him a wild man, but in actuality, if you go back to the book of 2 Kings, Elijah, the great prophet, dressed the exact same way. So John was just emulating Elijah, who was prophesied about John that he would be like. 
When Gabriel spoke to Zechariah, he said he would, in his ministry, with the power and spirit of Elijah. And so I think John the Baptist grew up emulating that individual. So dressed like him, lived in the wilderness, and, and did all those things. But, but the point of what he was doing in the power of the Holy Spirit in John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare the way of Jesus Christ. And remember what we were saying, that the ministry of John would be so powerful that his legacy and ministry would far surpass his life. In fact, Paul, when he went to Ephesus on his journey in establishing the church, had to clarify the ministry of John the Baptist versus the ministry of Jesus. It's pretty amazing when we actually see that in Acts chapter 19. It's up on your screen. Acts 19, 1 through 5. It says, There he, speaking of Paul, found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They answered, Into John's baptism. Interesting, right? And Paul goes on to say, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there was some clarification that needed because John had a very powerful ministry. And that was prophesied about him. But a lot of people started to believe in the baptism of John as opposed to the ministry of Jesus. And so Paul and others had to clarify that. But the beauty of John the Baptist is that he expresses his humility. Even though he's very powerful, even though he was spoken of for hundreds of years, he himself knew it wasn't about me what I was going to do. This is about who I am speaking of. And so he humbled himself and in humility spoke in verses, verse 7. He says, After me comes one who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And it was something that John would continue to speak of throughout his ministry. And we read in John 3, verse 30, that he says, He must increase, I must decrease. And that's a message for all of us, isn't it? In verses 8 and 9, we talk about this baptism of water versus baptism of the Spirit. And he said, John baptized with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When we look at water baptism, it's a symbolic gesture, as we talked about, of your inner repentance. But it's just a symbolic gesture. Water baptism is, in effect, an expression that we are about to walk a path of purity. And Christ-centered obedience to the will of God for the remainder of our earthly existence. So we don't demean water baptism. We don't say it's unimportant because it does have importance. It is a special thing that we go through. Declaring to the world around us, I am no longer trying to make it on my own. That when I'm baptized and I come up fully engulfed in that water, I'm covered by the Spirit of Jesus Christ and I'm going to live my life according to His will, not mine. Baptism is very important. And I want to ask, I mean, and invite you guys, if you've never gone through a believer's baptism as Jesus was baptized, then, then let us know. Talk to us, please. We can set that up. Do you guys know there's a lake right over here? Right? It's not pretty. It's not clean. And as long as you cover your nose and, and other things, we'll get you baptized. 
go home and shower afterwards, but hey, water is water. But we can do that. Or we can find a pool or some other thing that we can do. But I want to encourage you. It's something that we have to do. It's something we need to do. Is it salvation itself that you're baptized? No. We're saved by grace. But we are called to be baptized and declare to the world through that symbolic gesture, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But it said Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And in our conversation of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us leads us, guides us, strengthens us, keeps us accountable, frees us from the weight of the law, teaches us the way of righteousness. So yes, the baptism and the Spirit inside you, God the Holy Spirit, is much more important than being dipped in a dirty lake. It's the Spirit that we walk in, not in the water baptism. So we don't demean baptism, it's very important, but what we live our life in is through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was in John the Baptist, the same Spirit that will now descend upon Jesus Christ as he goes through his own baptism. So let's take a look at that. Verses 10 and 11. First and foremost, did Jesus need to be baptized? No, he did not. Did Jesus need to die on the cross for our sins? No, he did not. So why did he do these things? Why did a sinless God go through the process of ceremonial For us is a, is a vision of being cleansed from our sin. Jesus didn't need to do that, but why did he do it? So Mark points to the humanity of God the Son so that we could identify with him. It was his way of associating with us so that we could identify with him. Does that make sense? He didn't need to do it, but he did. And in verse 10 and 11, it says, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Is the Holy Spirit a dove? No. But it descended on him like a dove. And if Mark writes this down, that it took the form of a dove, then we can go ahead and envision that it looked similar to a dove. I don't believe it was an actual bird that came down, but we get that vision. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So here we get the full scope of the triune God in one scenario. We have God the Son being baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit, God the Spirit, descending on him. And when we really look into Scripture and you dive into the original language, when it says the Spirit descended on him, on him like a dove, it doesn't mean it just came down and rested on his shoulder. When it says descended on him, it actually means into him. And then you have God the Father speaking from heaven. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. That extreme divine heavenly power yet manifested in peace and gentleness. This is how we operate in our life. The power of the Holy Spirit, the strength of God the Spirit in us, yet we're to manifest through gentleness and love and peace and patience and kindness. That's the ministry we have with other people. So in this moment, in the baptism of Jesus, he's anointed in his ministry for what he is about to do. 
And what is he about to do in generally speaking? We can look at Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That's the ministry of Jesus Christ that we're going to get into. And all that is filled in with the stories and the miracles and the love and what Jesus does for us. This is the Son of God. This is God, the Son. When we speak of the gospel of Jesus, the good news comes from the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Lord, Yahweh of salvation, Spirit-filled, mighty God in the flesh. This is Jesus. This is the good news. There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you, Jesus, that we could get into your word and begin this study of your ministry.